Hi there. Welcome to the Food Mood Files. I'm Emily Serta, clinical nutrition specialist and founder of Thrive Inside Nutrition. I witnessed a life-changing connection between food and mood in my own family that drove me to grad school and into practice as a licensed nutritionist. As I've built relationships with clients, health practitioners, and other parents, I've come to realize that equally dramatic food mood experiences are happening every day in homes and at dining tables across the world. If you're interested in learning about the influence of food on mood, or vice versa, then you are in the right place. Welcome to episode four of the Food Mood Files. Today is a solo episode where I'll share my observations from 2020 and invite you to set an intention for 2021. This is our last episode of this year as we lead into a break for the holidays. New episodes will start up again in January. Leading into 2020, and maybe every year, we crave change. We dream about how we want the upcoming year to go differently. Many people realize that they want to feel better or achieve a health goal, and they sign up for quick fix challenges in January to jumpstart a new year of health and behavior change. I even ran a dry January challenge at the beginning of 2020, and it was both successful and fun for the small group who joined me. The new year always makes us feel like we have a blank slate in front of us. It opens up an amazing opportunity to manifest the changes we want to achieve. The head of steam and motivation that we start with on January 1st does slowly fade as we slip into those comfortable routines and behaviors as the year goes on. Look, lifestyle change is hard. The U.S. News and World Report notes that 80% of New Year's resolutions are broken by mid-February. There are a ton of apps and programs offered in the new year suggesting that new habits can be made in a mere 21 days. We can do anything for 21 days, right? This number comes from Maxwell Maltz, who published a book called Psycho-Cybernetics in 1960. Maltz was a plastic surgeon, and he noticed that his patients seemed to take about 21 days to get used to their new faces. (laughs) Yeah, you heard that right. 21 days to get used to their new faces. So let's be clear. There was no choice involved there. It's not like they could reject their new faces, change their mind, or somehow revert to previous behavior. In fact, There's no behavior change in Maltz's example at all. In 2009, a study out of the University of College London was published in the European Journal of Social Psychology. This refuted Maltz's idea that it takes 21 days to create a new habit. The study looked at the new habits of 96 people over the space of 12 weeks and it found that the average time it takes for a new habit to stick is actually around 66 days. Furthermore, individual times varied anywhere from 18 to a whopping 254 days. So before you start making a New Year's resolution for 2021, let's recap a few trends I've noticed in health this year. 
Looking back on what we've learned can help drive us toward purposeful change for, for next year. Number one, we need to tune into our bodies stat. For most of us, unless we're unwell, we don't think about our health very often. I can't tell you how many people I've worked with over the years who are shocked by how well they feel after we work a few weeks together. It's not my magic. It's simply because they didn't realize how unwell they felt before. There's that fatigue, those daily mild headaches, congestion, or maybe poor sleep. That's all so common that it's chalked up to aging or some other natural phenomena that normalizes feeling unwell. This year, thanks to COVID-19, our health has come to our attention in a big way. As much as we still don't understand about this virus, we know that people with certain health conditions are more likely to have poor outcomes related to COVID-19. Chronic health conditions aren't usually addressed with urgency, but the pandemic may be changing our perspective because of the acute danger it presents. One of the first steps to wellness, even in the midst of closed gyms and canceled events, is to work on our body intuition. Body intuition is slowing down enough to realize that if we sleep, that we sleep poorly if we eat dinner too late at night. Body intuition is noticing that we're not very productive when we try to sit at our computers too long without a quick break. Body intuition is suspecting that that morning bagel might be why we feel bloated at lunch. Body intuition costs nothing, but it's the first step toward wellness because if we realize what makes us feel bad, we can also pursue the things that make us feel better. Number two, health disparities exist big time. This is a really deep topic with many, many facets. I could do a whole series on this on 20, in 2021, and maybe I will. Um, I need experts who can speak to the complexity of this topic with the attention it deserves. For now, let it suffice to say that systemic racism is wreaking havoc on the health of many black and brown people in our nation. Until we can change the system of health delivery here in the U.S., preventative health will continue to be a privilege not afforded to the poorest among us, who likely need it the most. Number three, community matters. Social interaction is a major determinant of health. As a functionally trained nutritionist, I am trained to look as closely at social engagement as I am to consider your family history. This is important, and it's never been more obvious than it is with quarantining here during 2020. We feel disconnected, depressed, and unstimulated without community interaction. Many are struggling with mental health as a result, and many others are struggling because they're watching the deterioration of their friends and loved ones from afar. Video conferencing software is attempting to bridge this gap, but it's not the same. We use this in my own family, connecting with a loved one who's been in lockdown in memory care since March. 
As grateful as we are for that diligent protection of lockdown, there are weeks when the laughter doesn't come as easy through video conferencing and the strain of isolation is evident. So what can we do here? In part, we continue to reach out consistently, even when it feels like a tiresome routine, even when you suspect your friends or loved ones are sick of being on camera. We telephone each other or send messages to let people know they're on our minds. We check in with elderly neighbors by leaving notes in the mailbox. We cover our walkway and sidewalk chalk and hope people smile as they walk by. We go out of our way to send a terrible joke to our bestie. And we get real about this struggle together. Number four, we desperately need to embrace practices to help us handle stress. Even before 2020, we were riddled with stress. It's part of our culture, this idea that hard work is the only thing that nets gains, that the early bird gets the worm, and that being really busy is a badge of honor. Sound familiar? Even our kids are trained to burn the candle at both ends, often catching the school bus as early as 6 a.m., participating in after-school practices until dinner time, and tackling hours of homework until it's time to get a few hours of sleep and do it all over again. The thing about stress is that it can derail us pretty quickly. In healthy physiology, stress is something that helps us grow, learn, and survive. We ramp up our stress hormones as we enter fight-or-flight mode, then our body comes back into balance, and those hormones decrease as the threat passes. When we're chronically stressed, we're in a constant state of fight or flight, and we rarely, if ever, return to balance. If this happens over a long period of time, that set point where our body falls back into balance increases, and the body thinks that this, new, is, this is a new state of high stress that is normal. This is the new set point. Unfortunately, so is the increased heart rate, the high levels of stress hormones, digestive distress, and the other body changes that result in poor health. So if we were stressed prior to 2020, how do you think we're faring now? <laughs> yeah, the thing is, we have an extensive number of practices aimed at reducing stress and restoring that set point. Many of them come from our most ancient sources of health wisdom. Breathing techniques, meditation of all kinds, yoga, and even laughing are a few that are accessible to everyone. It's high time we decide that we're not too busy to engage in these things because our health depends on it. Number five, our attitudes shape our experience. So look, I'm not going to suggest that we all put on our rose-tinted glasses and demand that everyone reframe the year into a positive experience. Let's be realistic. What I'm getting at here are a few ideas that I share with my kids weekly. Truthfully, they're probably the phrases that they'll repeat with giggles and eye rolls once they have families of their own, but I'm okay with that. 
The first idea here is that we aren't in control. I don't think I need to elaborate on that. Hashtag 2020, right? But since we can't control what's going on around us, the only control we really have is in our reaction to our environment. Do we really want to stomp our feet, complain about everything, hang out in social media circles where the negativity pulls us further under? Or do we want to shift our mindset and recognize the power of our own actions to put us in a better state of mind? Obviously, many of us have had tough days and weeks this year, and sometimes we need to rely on that community I was talking about earlier to help pull us out of the depths. Overall, looking at every day anew can help to find some of the silver linings that this year's challenges has tossed our way. The other question I frequently ask my kids is, how do you want to show up in the world? It's a good question, one really worth thinking about. I usually end up asking this when they're fighting with each other and we're quarantined in the house and none of us can take it anymore. <laughs> but this ties into the idea that our attitude matters. And I'd argue that it matters now more than it ever has. So what does this all have to do with food and mood? Everything, I think. The influence of food on mood is bi-directional. That means that mood can influence our food choices just as easy as food choices can influence our mood. 2020 has obviously influenced our mood in so many ways. This might look more like more comfort food in your diet, stress related to purchasing food, or maybe just an ambivalence toward food completely. Each of the points I've reviewed today directly impact our health, our health as individuals and communities. And they've all been brought into the spotlight this year. I believe that we're all here to put our unique marks on the world. But we can't do that if we're unwell. As we prepare to move forward into the new year, with whatever promise it holds, let's step away from the New Year's resolutions and instead set an intention for 2021. How do you want to show up in the world? As you carry this intent into the new year, notice how it has the power to shift your mood. I wish you a safe, peaceful holiday season wherever you are, and I'll catch you again in 2021 with new episodes. That's it for this week's episode of the Food Mood Files. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app and sign up to our email list at thriveinsidenutrition.com so that you don't miss our next episode. I'm Emily Serta, challenging you to slow down and consider how the food you choose influences your mood.